Restaurant Unstoppable episode 573 with Chef Callie Spear. I have never done a single thing in my life that I haven't to some extent lied about my capabilities of doing it. I think that there's a part, I mean, obviously I know enough about myself to know that I'll figure it out if I don't know how to do it, but I don't. I don't, I never wanted to take a job where I didn't have like some concern that I was going to have to learn something else because then that's just stagnant. It's boring. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Cash flow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Callie Spear. I should say Chef Callie Spear. Are you feeling unstoppable today? I feel unstoppable every day. And if I don't, <laughs> yes. I fake it. <laughs> nice. That is what we're going for. So early in her career, Austin native Callie Spear influenced the pastry and bread program for Parkside. Under Sean Sirkeel, her experience also includes working as the pastry chef for Chameleon Group and the, as the executive pastry chef for the Hotel Zan. Uh, Van Zant. Uh, in 2013, she was nominated for Food and Wine Magazine's People's Best New Pastry Chef. In 2015, she was awarded Pastry Chef of the Year by Culture Map. Equipped with the experience, acclaim, and passion, Spear set out to open Holy Roller in 2017, which instantly became and continues to be a staple in the Austin dining scene. Shortly after opening Holy Roller, Spear won Eater Austin's Chef of the Year. You've been doing some great stuff, some great attention. Uh, I'm sure there's a reason for it, and that's what we're here to find out today, is why you're, you're getting all this claim and doing so many great things. Uh, before we get your story and dive into how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? You know, we always just talk about at Holy Roller that you just you show up. You know, and that's like such a big thing is you show up, you leave everything else at the door, you show up, you come excited, you come ready to throw out whatever weird ideas you have that day, because that's sort of how our little business over there thrives yeah. is on people showing up every day with their best. What's showing up with their best look like? Dive into that. Paint that picture for me. God, I mean, showing, <laughs> showing up with your best is like, you know, not the obvious of coming prepared and dressed and on time and all of that. But more for me, it's more of a, a mental 
state of being ready to to be there and engage and be aware of your coworkers and the things that are going on you know on around you and I think that you know one of the things that has really done us well at Holy Rollers we have some like weird ideas and weird things and we expect people to show up and have have input and have you know, their own personal touch on all the things we do because that's what makes what we're doing every day so special. Ooh, I'm going to make a note to dive into adding a personal touch because I want to dive into that. Uh, So when did you make the decision that this was going to be your career? Take us to the beginning. Oh, man. I mean, I didn't really. When I was a kid, my dad was like, get a job loser. And at the time <laughs> we had um, a family friend that had opened a restaurant out in Westlake in, in Austin. And I had never worked a day in my life before. And he was really the only person that was going to even pretend to hire somebody as young as I was. How old were you at this time? 15. Okay. Um, so I was 15 going on 16 and got thrown into, I mean, essentially, I think some bullshit position where they're like, you're going to be, you know, sort of a food runner slash, you know, like finishing putting plates together in the kitchen. And I loved it. Like oh, I loved cool. every, I mean, I loved everything from just having a job from the, you know, to the way the restaurant felt, to the way the staff all like just teased each other and messed with each other all day long. And how, you know, I mean, I was like the kid that they were like, here, you should try a bite of this. Cause I knew you know, I ate like easy Mac cups and like canned green beans. Like we didn't, I didn't know anything about food. Never had had that like passion for, you know, eating good food or creating good. I didn't even know what that meant. And they'd be like, here, try a spoonful of this. And it would be like wasabi, you know, those terrible stories you hear where you're like, seriously, what a bunch of jerks. But I loved it. I mean, it was like, but then you feel like you're like part of the crew, you know, yeah. like they're teasing me. Yeah. I'm in. That's cool. So was it here that you wanted to, to, you made the decision to commit your life to hospitality or to, to food and beverage? No, I, I mean, I, I did that then because I didn't really have any other option. And then I just, um, kept doing it that, you know, that when it came time to get another job, I knew how to do that already and had gotten better at it. And so I got another job doing that and then another one and another one. And at a certain point, um, I started working for this little teeny tiny bistro over, um, on Westland called Chipolina. And I was doing like, you know, they're making salads, like nothing cool. And one day, the lady who had been in charge of doing all the pastry stuff had to suddenly quit. And there was this like, you know, sudden availability. And then here I am to like interject myself and say, I think I can do this. This seems really fun. And I had thought, you know, there had been a couple of, a couple of times I'd sort of messed around with her back there and, and made some things and, you know, got to see that instant gratification that you get from like making something and giving it to somebody and watching their face when they try it and when they really, really like it. And I fell in love with that. Like as a small, not small, as a young person, I fell in love with sort of that instant reward, that sensation that you get. Yeah. From like being like, man, I made that and you loved it and it made your day and your face changed and you smiled and it like just, it felt great. And so I said, you know, I think, I think I can give this a whirl and give it a try. And then you know, at some point lost my damn mind and, and fell in love with it all together and stuck with it. So get Ariel real quick and kind of like, like lay out a map from how you got to that point to maybe getting to like, uh, working for somebody like chef, uh, 
uh, secure. I'm always so afraid to say this guy's last name. I know, name. everyone does. Uh, say it for me one more <laughs> time. I got to knock it down because I think I might be trying to get him on the show. And if I get him on the show, I got to get it right I back. I love then. it. Sirkeel. Sirkeel. Yeah. Okay. So what else happened between getting that job? Because he, I'm assuming, is one of your probably key mentors. He is my, yeah, he is my key mentor. So any other like sit, like points along your career before coming across Sean that really formed who you are today? Yeah. I um. So like I said, I was a kid and I, I knew nothing about it. And really, I thought as I kept going that I knew more and more about it. And it was like very much a fake it till you make it kind of scenario. And I, at that point really didn't even have any idea how really awesome it was to get the opportunity to open Parkside with him. Like I didn't, I didn't really have that. Like, you know, I hadn't been like following people's professional careers or I didn't have that, like that feeling of knowing like oh my god like I just landed a job with this guy who's incredible who's had a restaurant like I didn't know anything about that like all (laughs) I knew was that I really liked doing that job and I really wanted to do it in that spot okay so I didn't really you know in retrospect I didn't see the value even in what I was about to do with him which I think is probably why it made it so valuable so what was it about this spot because you said it was something that drew you to working with him at that spot it was before he had even opened was did he have a certain acclaim or a reputation that you were trying to tie yourself to or to go learn for some from somebody who had been previously successful because I don't really even know what he was doing before that point he well he had had um he had a restaurant downtown called Jean-Luc's Bistro okay and he you know, had certainly had some acclaim, had done some beard house stuff, had done, I met him actually because he was doing um, some consulting for the Uchi group. Okay. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't even realize at the time, like how cool that was to Mm -hmm. be offered that job. And he, you know, I think it was kind of like one of those scenarios where he was looking for somebody and I was looking for something and I was like, Hey man, I could do this. And it was sort of this mutual agreement literally with me having no idea, like how, awesome so this were, was gonna be were you at the uchi group no before that so was it through uh philip i'm assuming yeah okay so what was there anything specific about him that drew you or about the, the business the, the vision that he had the mission that they had that drew you to go work for that he's group? sean's a badass like sean <laughs> just has this sean has this mentality of like when you talk to him about anything that he's gonna do you you know from speaking to him that it he will do it and it will be a success like hands down. And it's just something that he exudes in his personality. Mm, confidence. And so, absolutely. Yeah. And when, you know, so when we're talking about this, I'm like, how, you know, of, of course I want to come do this awesome, you know, Parkside in and of itself was such an enigma because it was, it is still right smack dab in the middle of dirty six, mm-hmm. which is like, I don't know if you've been down there, but gross, you know <laughs> I mean? For lack of a better word, it's gross. And it's like full of, you know, like 25 cent shots and like, you know, just <laughs> puke you know I don't even know <laughs> and Sean had this like harebrained idea that he was like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna open a fine dining restaurant right in the middle of all of this like college town chaos and I think everybody but him thought he was crazy you know and then here they are 10 years later been a huge an success. epic success yeah, yeah yeah so I feel like we might be missing something in your storyline because you don't get an opportunity like that without having some kind of chops right what were you doing before to set you up to even be offered an an invitation to be a part of Parkside? Well, so I had, you know, as I said, I had done some pastry stuff prior. I had worked in a handful of restaurants. I worked um, in a restaurant called Jeffrey's that at the time was um, one of three restaurants in town that were seen as like nice restaurants. It was like Jeffrey's and Uchi. And then there was one other called Wink, I think at the time. And 
so I had worked there. I had also gone, there was a restaurant group that was here in town for a little while. Um, the restaurant was called Mars and I had gone over there and been their pastry chef for, you know, they had like a location move. And so I had done a restaurant opening with them. So I had the experience of having opened some places. I had the experience of having been technically the pastry chef in a couple of places. And I'm not going to lie. Like I was shitty at it. Like, I don't think like every master man, like I like totally like I look back on that and I'm like, God, I made some like really embarrassing (laughs) stuff. And then, um, you know, when Sean started talking about like this pastry program he wanted to do and he wanted to do all these in-house breads, you know, of course I'm like, man, I got you. Like, this is going to be amazing. I had never made bread in my life like that. Like, sorry, Sean, I totally lied. Like, I, I mean, honestly, like he's like, you can do this. I'm like, for sure I can do this. And I mean, we did, you know, yeah. it came out fine, but I mean, who knows what could have happened in that scenario. So, uh, any key mentors, any key lessons from Jeffries or Mars, any people that are worth bringing to any pivotal points for you in your career during that time? I don't know that I honestly knew enough. Like I said before, like I didn't know really even how cool it was that I was doing that at the time to have really absorbed much doing of that. that. What do you mean by doing that? And Cooking, where were working you doing? in a kitchen, at, at pa- pastry chefing, okay. any of that. Like, I don't know that. Like at that point, I was so, so young that I honestly was like more in love with the environment and the way it felt because, I mean, this was before, I mean, this is like when I was 21 years old. Okay. So we're talking, thank you for, I was going to say, can we timestamp this? My mind works very chronological for some reason. So we're talking now about four to five years within the industry is when you're starting to work at some of these fine dining Mm -hmm. restaurants, doing the pastry. Um, I love your approach of just kind of doing it right like how do you like faking it till you make it like they say right i've never done a single thing <laughs> in my life that i haven't to some extent lied about my capabilities of doing it i think that there's a part i mean obviously i know enough about myself to know that i'll figure it out mm-hmm. if i don't know how to do it but i don't I don't, I never wanted to take a job where I didn't have like some concern that I was going to have to learn something else because then that's just stagnant. You got to put yourself boring. in uncomfortable positions to grow. Right. Absolutely. And if you're constantly faking it till you make it, you're con- like b- before long, you're not faking anything. Like, you know what you're doing because you put yourself in those positions where you're forced to figure it out. Totally. So any, any advice for somebody who, and I, I personally respect that approach to, to, uh, getting to a place of success is of just throwing yourself into a situation. We don't all have money to go pay for culinary school. Right. Yeah. So what advice do you have for that person that is, is, is looking to break into the industry like you did? Well, I mean, I think it, a lot of it is about the willingness to just work hard and work, you know, it's a lot of grunt work and it's, it's being willing to not have that ego about it and just go in and do it. And then there is a lot that you have to fake. And honestly, like I think the best advice is knowing when you have to say, you don't know. So when do you know that, to say you oh, don't you know, know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you feel it. Bring like, me to oh, a, give shit. me an example. Bring me to a specific example where like somebody said, all right, just give it to Callie. She knows. And you're like, I, I don't, know. I mean, a specific example is a holy roller. I mean, I still like it. <laughs> lest you think that I'm not faking it till I make it every day. I mean, that's still, it's all the time. I mean, there's things even to this day where I get to the point of being like, damn it. Like, I don't know the answer to this. And you know, like, you know, the point where you're going to like, epically mess something up if you don't ask somebody for help. Yeah. So, and I have, you know, and now I'm fortunate enough to have really good partners and people that I can look to and go like, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know the answer to this. Can you please help me? I'm sorry if I look like a dumbass. and I'm not afraid anymore to say like, I know this is stupid, but tell me the answer because, you know, I think I, I'm certain I spent a lot of time thinking that I would look 
dumb and being worried about that. But now I just, you know. So what about during the come up when you were working for some of these restaurateurs or saying, hey, like, go do this. Like, how do you approach that situation when you don't know the answer? Are you, are you just transparent with your boss or your, the owner? Like, how do you how do you handle that situation? You know, I mean, I at a young age, I mean, a lot of that was like research. You know, you try to you mess around with it and you do some research and you try to figure out how to work, you know, how to make it work. And you have peers that may know the answer and you don't know the answer and you try, you know, but when you get to a point where you just can't figure it out and it needs to be figured out, that's when you, that's when you say, you got know? you, got you. Um, okay. So is, does it make sense to focus on your time? Uh, is it safe to say that you kind of grew the most under Parkside roof? Yeah. 1000%. So let, let's get there. Well, who were you when you got the Parkside and, and take us through that evolution uh, your professional evolution. I mean, by the, by the time I arrived at Parkside, I'd had a lot of years under my belt of culinary experience, both savory and pastry at that point, about, so, I would say about half and half. So where you were 21 working at some of these other restaurants. How old were you now? How, how, how many years had it passed before you got to Parkside? Oh man. Um, 23. Okay. And what year was it? You know, 2000, seven or eight. Okay. So we're going back. Well, they 10 just had their ago. 10th anniversary this year. So okay. 2008. Okay. So we're going back like 10 years ago. How many years did you, did you spend at Parkside? Um, ugh, I'm not going to remember the exact answer to that. I spent long enough there to have a daughter and work there after she was <laughs> so born. A few years. For, yeah. A few years. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, what, what was it like going there initially? Cause I'm, I'm sure you probably got pushed the envelope, right? Uh, the pressure to, to perform at a restaurant with that kind of standards. So, you know, coming into that, I, you know, with the experience that I had, I had never worked for somebody that had the pedigree that Sean had and certainly never had worked for anybody that had the expectation that he had of, you know, quality of product of the way, I mean, even simple things like still to this day, I cannot stand it when people put things away in a walk-in in like the box they originally came in because Sean was like so meticulous about, you know, these like clear shoe boxes, you can see everything you have in there. It's all clean. It's all labeled. It's all, you know, there, there was a lot of that, that I had never seen. That was just this really a lot of like pride and care given to not only the things we were making, but the process that leads up to it. You know, how clean was the kitchen? How clean was the walk-in? How was everything put away? Is everything labeled right? How do you look? How do you, you know, it's like Sean would constantly walk around behind line cooks and be like, why are you wiping your hands on your apron? Like you have a towel for that. Don't wipe your hand. Do you wipe your hands on your pants when you, you know, I mean, just things like that, that like, you know, maybe seem like common sense, but they're not all the time when, you know, and I, like I said, I'd certainly never worked in any, anywhere that had those kinds of standards. And Um, you know, so I think to some extent when I very first went into it, there was a lot of like confidence and like, man, I got, this This is going to be so fun. This is going to be, you know, and then it wasn't until like we really started going that I was like, shit, (laughs) you know, like what is (laughs) happening? And I love to, and I actually still to this day tell people like when we opened Holy Roller, for instance, you know, like in these restaurant openings, people tend to freak out, you know, and freeze up or, you know, not, you know, just kind of like panic because there's so much stuff to do. And at this point I've done a handful of restaurant openings and Parkside was the absolute worst because I literally like went in there to make all of these desserts, these lovely plated desserts that I was going to do for, for our opening menu. And by the time we had guests arriving for this soft opening, I didn't have a fucking single plate completed, like no (laughs) shit, like not a one. And I had to go downstairs and tell him that. And to his credit, he was like super calm about it. I mean, what are you going to do in that instance anyway? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I spent like 
a decent amount of time like crying in the back alley by myself because it was like so fucking humiliating that I hadn't. When you say you didn't have a plate completed, conceptually, like what you wanted to do? No, no, no. I had everything like conceptually done, but it's like these composed desserts. So each thing has like, you know, five or six different components. And so Mm. I might have had like three components for one or two components for the other, but I didn't have a single individual plate like ready to be presented. And it was like, oh man, it was the worst. Like I still tell people that to this day, like we're opening Holy Roller and I'm like, let me tell y'all a story <laughs> because it doesn't get any fucking worse than not having anything. So, so how'd, you, how'd you come out of that? Like, well, how did you move beyond that, that hurdle? Oh, because, you know, because at that point I did, I did it and messed it up and then figured out how I needed to fix it. You know what I mean? And so it was just sort of like, it was that difficult learning curve of seeing like there. Like, this isn't going to be easy and being okay with it not being easy. Like, everything at that point had been like, you know, it's like, oh, my God, I've made these things. People love them. They're wonderful. And then it was like, you know, hit the brakes, you know, slow down, turbo. Like, There's also something to be said in, uh, I think, Sean's leadership style style, to not lose his shit when you came to him. For sure. What would have happened if he did freak out? Like, I mean, it would have been terrible. And there would have been nothing I could have done about it anyway, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably... To his credit, what he could see in that situation, you know, was like, well, shit. (laughs) So we've learned about uh, the importance of standards, right? And really Mm -hmm. taking the time to do things a certain way, to have that high standard, uh, to keep your cool when shit does hit the fan. What else did we learn? Big life lessons, business lessons working at this place. I think that, um, you know, one of the things I think that I've gone back and thanked him for, um, specifically for you know, I mean, there's a lot of conversation about being like a woman in the industry, you know, these days. And so it's, I feel like a super popular topic right now. And I didn't ever feel like I was like slighted in any way by being a woman. Like I didn't have any of those kinds of issues. I didn't, you know, no harassment issues, nothing like that. But I did at Parkside, you know, I, in that span of time that I worked there, I got married. I had a child. I had to figure out how to come to work and still, you know, want to have this career that I felt very passionate about and at the same time figure out how to be a mom. And Sean has kids and at the time had two children and had a wife and had a family. And he was absolutely integral in showing me that it was okay. Not only was it possible to do both, but it was okay to do both, that you didn't have to feel bad to to want to be at work or you didn't want to you didn't have to feel bad to want to be at home with your kid like there was a lot of I don't know like a very big lesson there in seeing that it was absolutely possible to do all the things that you want to do and the way he would always say it was you know he's like you have to compartmentalize you have to have different boxes in your head and you put certain things you know you put your family in one box and you put your job in one box and you put you know whatever else is bothering you in another box and you choose when you open those Mm. and you just don't let them bleed together and that's been so so important because especially as I've gotten busier done more things or or Lucy's gotten older and has had more stuff to do you know it's like it's hard Lucy's your daughter yeah (laughs) uh she's 10 now but she um but it was certainly daunting, and I don't think that I would have come out of that as resiliently as I did because of him. Mm. Any other transformative uh, pearls of wisdom, knowledge uh, regarding business, or just like you're you're giving us like a personal uh, skill sets right now too, just life skill sets. Any other lessons that you drew working under uh, this mentor before moving on to the next phase in your career? Um, my favorite lesson that I learned from him that I like to tell everybody is that you never make food that looks like poop. 
literally (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny how like as silly as that sounds like there's so many times like still to this day where I like look at something that somebody made and I'm like yeah no but it looks it might be good but it looks like poop and not no one want to be eating anything that looks like poop (laughs) all right I think on that note we can move on to the uh, next point in your career so what made you leave what was there an opportunity did you feel like you hit a ceiling there um I ended up leaving Actually, because I wanted to kind of take some time to be with my daughter at that point, she was a couple years old and I really, um, just kind of wanted to take a beat. It's a really see. important time in a child. Like the yeah, few years, like there's she a lot was of learning going on, a lot of forming. So little. And there were so many things happening, exciting things happening. And, you know, it was like kind of that, like, man, I'm going to miss my kid learning how to walk or I'm going to miss my kid, you know, just like these things I was really concerned about missing. Um, and you know, at the time too, um, Philip was open, they were doing another restaurant opening and things like, you know, life kind of got busy and it Mm. was the best way to sort of, like I said, take a beat and figure out what the next move was going to be. So when do you, when did you think you were ready or when were you feeling like you wanted to get back into it to get to that, that transition back into Mm. the industry? I had no, I didn't, I didn't really know. And then I went out, um, I went out one night and, Matt Clauser, who um, still to this day is one of my very good friends, he was working on a project called Swift's Attic with some other friends of ours. And just kind of in passing one night out was like, hey, what would you think about coming back to work and being the pastry chef at Swift's Attic? And this was like easily a year, if not more, before the project even, before we even opened. And I said... I'm sure I was drunk, you know, it was like, that sounds like a really great idea. I would love to do that. Please call me whenever. And then he did. And I was like, Oh, what shit. Did I say? yeah. Like, did I actually agree to this? Dang it. Um, and that, uh, you know, was probably one of the best drunken decisions I ever made. Probably Why? one of the only good ones. Um, because that, be, because that project was fun because it was, you know, an incredible team of people, like just an incredible, I mean, an incredible team of people that were weird, like I was. And like, we, you know, it's like Swift's Attic was the first place that I kind of learned how to inject whimsy into the things that I was doing. Like before, you know, I was learning a lot of the fundamentals, a lot of the basics, a lot of the like general structure of how to make make everything work and make things well and execute things well. And Swift's was the first place where it was like, okay, now that you know how to do that, let's think outside of the box a little Putting bit. Putting the Cali spin on things. Totally. Yeah. And that's like, I think that's really where I sort of uh, honed that technique. And it was not only absolutely embraced by them, it was encouraged even. And so that was, um, you know, just exhilarating because you could go in every day and be like, man, I, I really feel like eating Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries today. Let's make some dessert out of that. And they're like, man, I love it. And you're like, really? So That's you have amazing. like free, like uh, creative, uh, just no, no cap on the creative totally. potential there. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what about business? Did they do anything different regarding business? Any lessons you picked up in that respect? You know, I'm not sure that I paid attention. Mm. You know, and that's like, I would say one of the challenges that I've had so far with 
holy roller is that I didn't really spend, you know, I mean, apart from the obvious like food cost and labor, you know, some of the basic skill sets you learn just by being a manager anywhere, there wasn't a lot of attention paid to that by me because I think I was so busy with my own, you know, head up my own ass. That yeah, you're in your lane. You're totally. being, being great. That was it's so and and I think that you sort of by osmosis like maybe learn some of these business skills that you don't you know like how to I don't even know what's an example but I mean I certainly think that I didn't come into Holy Roller blindly but I don't know that I can pinpoint but I mean these people taught me a lot about the business yeah but at Swift's attic you weren't at that point you weren't thinking I'm going to open my own place or were you no I mean I didn't I honestly didn't think I was going to open my own place until like 24 hours before I presented the place to someone. <laughs> and I will, we can get back to that, but okay. I'm totally not even exaggerating. So any other uh, big key pivotal, I mean, this is a, definitely a pivotal point for you in your career because I, I say you, you got to get out there. You got to work at different places to, to find out what you love, what your passion is. The only way you can figure that out is by experiencing things and trying things and, and getting more clarity on what it is that you do. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is kind of where you got that clarity. Totally. Any other, I mean, it absolutely was where I, I think if you asked anybody, like I very much have a style of things that I, the way I do things. And that came from there specifically. Um, the guy, one of the guys that owns the restaurant, I would say is probably who I would qualify as my second mentor. Um, his name is CK Chin. He's another one of those guys that's like, uh, you know, the, the Kevin Bacon game of, you know, everybody somehow has touched, you know, some, some project that he's worked on. He's sort of, he's a super integral part of not even the restaurant community of the community just in general in Austin. And he, um, drop his name on me one more time. CK Chin. Um, he was where I learned and I reference a lot that I think one of the greatest lessons I've learned generally in my career is how to be cool and calm even when you don't feel that way. And he is like, you could walk into that restaurant and tell him, you're like, oh my God, the place is on fucking fire and everybody's hair is on fire and it's burning to the ground and it's terrible. And he would look at you and be like, okay, well, calm down. It's fine. Did you, did you call 911? Did you? Okay. You call not let now let's go see what's going on. Like he would never give off even the tiniest iota of panic because he knew. And I think maybe even without knowing that he it causes everyone else to panic. Exactly. Like the, in my mind, like that is the perfect example of emotional intelligence, right? Like not letting your emotions get the most of you because in that moment, emotions aren't serving you. Like just process the situation. Like what's going on? And like you said, like if you lose your shit as the leader, you force everybody around you to lose their shit. Absolutely. And that's like, I think, Overall, like generally in my day to day now, that's one of the things I reference a lot is mm. is really knowing the value in keeping my own shit together because everybody else has to as well, you know, and that's like one of the things too I try to encourage in our other managers to to know how to do too, because it's like, you know, you know, Britt, for instance, who's my like partner in crime at work, it's like, you know, I want those guys to look at her and it's like is Brit freaking out? No. Okay. Well then you don't get to freak out. Like the moment you see her freak out, then the world is burning down. Like, <laughs> yeah. but until then shut the hell up and let's get it done, you know, kind of thing. And I feel like there's so, so much to say for that. And What's... I'm so it's was like an awesome lesson and just how to 
just be cool. What's that conversation look like if uh, my listeners are hearing your words and they're thinking to themselves, I need to have that conversation with my managers. How do you, how do you have that conversation with your managers to, to, to prep them psychologically to not lose their shit? Well, you know, the hard part I think about that is that I honestly think that's a personality type. Like I think that there are people that are far better suited to having that skill set than other people. There are just some people that can't keep it together. And there are some people that can, and some people that really, really can't, you know, really can. Um, I think more people absolutely are are more hardwired to keeping their shit together. 100. And so I think if you have like a natural panicker, I'm not sure you could have any conversation. (laughs) You know, you could certainly say like, Hey man, like I'm going to need you to kind of just like keep it together. Keep it, you know, like take, take that look of, a freak out off your face and let's not like, you know, one of the things we also like, it's completely not tolerated at our place to like yell at it. Like nobody's raising their voices at people, screaming at people like, how stupid does that look? You mm. know, it's like, okay, you scream at that guy, <laughs> make him go faster. You're bright. Um, what, what happens? Like, again, it goes back to emotional intelligence, right? When you're screaming at somebody, they're not thinking about the thing you're screaming at them. No, they're, to thinking do. You're a dick. they're thinking about how much they want to rip your head off, yeah. which is only going to compound and snowball the, the the bad things that are happening, right? Well, nobody wants to work in an environment like that. I don't want to work in an environment like that. So we try very hard to cultivate an environment that like that I want to be in. Yeah. So know? when can we, is this, I think we're at a point now where we can transition to the story of Holy Roller, right? Okay. Uh, so when did this even become a possibility? Well, so Holy Roller was an interesting thing because when I... Prior to Holy Roller, I had been working for the Hotel Van Zandt, and there were a few things that happened. Um, One of them was that I realized that I really don't do very well in a corporate environment. Is Um, that what you learned at Hotel Van Zandt? Is that what I learned? Yes. Yeah. I think (laughs) I'm actually happy because I completely skipped over that portion of your life. And so that was the lesson here is structure is well we'll talk we'll talk about we'll talk about that because there was a much bigger lesson there for me um first of all i learned that there was no let's uh, put holy roller on the back burner let's dive into well it kind of all like (laughs) it flows together i'll give you that i'll give you this okay (laughs) so you know i started working for the van zant and it became very evident very quickly that it was like this corporate monster that i had no interest in being and it was just not something that was suitable to my personality i don't do you know, I just, it, it didn't do, I'm a very like a damn the man kind of individual and, and putting me in an environment like that wasn't super fun. Um, the other thing that happened when I was at the Van Zant was I got sober and it was a very, um, you know, sort of moment where I showed up to work one day after having been just a, like I was a fucking wreck. Like I don't have some like monster story of like, holy shit, this like crazy thing happened and forced me to, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. But I had certainly hit this like downward spiral of just not taking care of myself and not making good choices and not, you know, just generally being a garbage person. And one of my coworkers, another manager at the Van Zant, one day I came into work and he was super pissed like he was just pissed at me and I'm like what is your fucking problem and we went in the office and he's like you know what my problem is is that you're a fu- you're an asshole like you're acting like an asshole you're you have this whole team of people that's excited to be here working for you and they don't like what a letdown like look at how you're behaving this sucks you know and I'm like <laughs> not like to bring back like totally the- right and he was so right can you give me an example can you paint that picture of what he was explaining to you, like who you were in this moment uh, to kind of really paint that picture of who we don't want to be. Well, you know, I think that 
you know, when I look back on that, like I think that especially if I look at it from the standpoint of the people working for me, I think that their expectation was that they were going to come in there and work for like, I had won these awards. Mm. I was pastry chef of the year. I was all, you know, all these really great things. And, and people I think are coming that to, they to were, work here because of you. Yes, because they want absolutely. To yeah. And I think that, you know, they had probably this vision of like coming and working side by side with this person who was like super, super involved and super, you know, willing to be, you know, willing to teach and willing to show and re- and willing to like show off the things that I knew. And I just didn't, I just didn't like, I was, you know, very much like floating through the day to day and relying on this team of people to do the job and make sure that the job got done and was very just like checked out and removed from it because my priorities were different. I mean, my priorities were where the party was or where, what else could I be doing besides work and how do I get through my work day to be able to go do this? And that's not fair to Mm. anybody that wants to come, especially anybody that wants to come learn and wants to be, you know, actively part of that community. How long did it take you at, uh, this hotel group? Was it a group hotel group? How was the best way to refer to it? It's a hotel. Okay. What was the best way to, or how long did it take you at this hotel to, to come to this realization that you were being this person? I mean, I think that, I don't know how long it took. I mean, I was, I don't, I honestly don't know how long it took. I, there was a part of me that certainly knew it to be the case in my own head, whether I wanted to admit it or not. And then going and sitting and having one of your very good friends tell you that you're an asshole, you know what I mean? And really like somebody that I loved very much and cared about him and cared about his opinion professionally and personally for him to, for him to have the courage to sit down and tell me something like mean, you know, about myself was so like, jarring you know to where I was like oh my god like he's right and I I mean honestly like I had that conversation with him and two days later I went and checked myself into a rehab facility because I just knew I could look at that situation and know that nothing good was going to happen from that point on like it would only get worse and I didn't want like I'm I'm far too vain (laughs) to, to let to have let that get any worse than it had already gotten so what did that inner dialogue look like that helped you get out of that spot? Like how did you talk yourself into a better mental and not physical, healthier space? I was just done with it. Mm. I mean, honestly, his answer, like I, you know, had just kind of woken up and like I said, had that conversation with him and like woke up and was like, man, I'm over it. Like, Mm. I don't want to be like, it was really like this moment of like a snap where I was like, this is not who I am. Like, this is not who I want to be. And I went to work that day, and Britt, who's now my number, you know, I say my number two, she's not, she runs the world at Holy Roller. So she was so with she, you at the hotel? She was with me okay. at the hotel, and I went to work, and I said, I'm leaving, and I'm going to go do this thing, you know, going to go check myself into this place, to which, like, she showed no, you know, emotion of surprise or anything. I'm sure she probably knew that that was a good thing and saw that come in from a mile away. And um, I have been, ever since, eternally grateful for the fact that she not only showed up at my, you know, graduation for, you know, after my 30 days there, drove to West Texas to show up there, but then has given me um, the opportunity to work with her again, even now, even through all the, all the shit. So since that point of getting sober and living more intentionally to, to be the mentor, to teach and to pay it forward, what, how's your life been differently or been different? I mean, it's been, it's astronomically different. It's, um, you know, I do. I don't. Uh, hmm. I mean, it's a deep question. Every, yeah, <laughs> I mean, but it's just there's honestly not a single thing about my life right now that's the same as it was before, apart from the fact that I'm still a chef. So from 
once you made this pivot in your life to mm. to get sober, to live more intentionally, to be that mentor, and, and to 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 be a, a true leader, uh, how long before you opened Holy Roller? How much space elapsed from? turning things around to opening your own business less than a year okay wow yeah so, so this you, is the exciting part of the story that i was yeah. telling you about when i said it was only it was so quick so what was your, your how were you living at this point were you living intentionally did you have the vision of opening your own place no. once you got sober? Um, i had no idea what i was going to do okay. i literally left i knew that i mean obviously like that's my career and i wanted to do something with it but i had honestly no idea i left um, you know, got sober, came home, um, and thought to myself, like, for sure, I don't want to work in a hotel ever again. <laughs> like, do that for sure. Um, and I had no idea, like, literally no idea what I wanted to do at that point. And I, you know, could also look at it and think to myself, like, man, like, I don't necessarily want to go work for anyone else. Like, there were a lot of things that I think I had, you know, I mean, I was in a really pretty good mental state then and, and kind of was just like, wanted to let it ride for a little bit to see just kind of see what happened like i'm i'm a really firm believer that the universe puts things out there that are meant to be put out there Mm -hmm. and i just um i'm happy that i didn't jump into anything else because um not but a couple of months after this happened um we had a friend that had the space where holy roller is now had that space and was really looking to get out of that lease he'd had it for a lot of time didn't want it anymore um it was a fish taco place he was like tired of running it i don't really know um and said hey man you know anybody that would want to put anything in this space like he had talked to a couple of other like business people around town that you know maybe about second locations and hadn't really found anybody that was like a good they either wanted it or was a good fit or whatever and i started thinking about it and i'm like man i have an idea And he said, cool, well, you know, we have this, you know, I have a couple of partners, some investors that would be interested in seeing whatever the idea is, because if we can put something cool in here, they would, they'd love it, you know, kind of thing. And I thought, okay, this is weird, because I've certainly never had a conversation with a potential investor, much less ever like pitched, you know, a business plan period to anybody. And so in honestly in 24 hours we put together a lookbook like had it printed a friend of ours helped me and we put together this whole like this is what it would look like this is what a mock menu would look like put together some rough like financials on it and I showed up and I showed this thing to these guys and they said that looks awesome let's do it and I said huh (laughs) like what (laughs) are you kidding me right now you said yes and then I mean seriously and so it was like sort of this like whole progression of like waiting for the other shoe to fall you know what I mean it was like okay well they said they liked it but let's see what really happens and then like as we got closer it was like okay like this is and like I didn't really I don't I mean I honestly don't know that I thought it was a real thing until we like opened the doors but like it wasn't until we truly like demoed the inside of that building that I was like holy shit like this This is is a thing like (laughs) what the hell and I had driven the very first day like when I took them that book I drove straight from that meeting when they were like, yes, let's do it. I drove straight from that meeting to basically the alleyway of the hotel where Britt was still working. And I was like, this is your future. Like, check it out. <laughs> I was showing her this book. And I think she thought I was crazy because here I am like a couple couple months out of rehab being like, check out what we're going to do. This is going to be great. And she's like, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and here we are. You know, and we did, we did it, which is like super weird still to me. So that vision, that original vision that you pitched these investors Mm -hmm. and these partners, how close is Holy Roller to that original vision? Super close. And it's funny because I think, uh, it's super close. It's, you know, there are some things 
definitely that are a little different about it because it was like such a quick thing. But now, you know, I still have that original lookbook. And when I look at it, there's like, um, the spirit is there, even if like some of the things like the menu certainly looks a little different. Like there's some things that are different about it, but, um, it was an interesting, like it can't like Holy Roller from inception was this way. And then as we got building, you know, I kind of like met some cool people and had some like really interesting, like relationships made along the way that made it like almost by happy accident, exactly what it was meant to be without knowing that. So what was the vision? Really paint that vision of what you wanted to create in Holy Roller and what you did create in Holy Roller. Man, I wanted to create a place that like felt edgy and a little divey and a little grungy, but not so much that it would scare away people that don't like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to do something that was like kind of trash food because I'm a trash person and I like to eat that way. And what I, is and trash I really, food? Just like, like, oh, just like gluttonous. Food? Like, yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, all the things that are terrible for Comfort you, like food. not salads, yeah. you know, yeah. we have to have those on the menu because it turns out people like them. I'm just not, <laughs> I'm just not one of those people. Um, so I wanted, you know, and with my pastry background, I really wanted to do something that was like super pastry heavy, like baked breads, biscuits, things like that. We, um, kind of originally talked about modeling it. Similarly, there's a concept um, that came out of California called Egg Slut that does like different biscuits, biscuit sandwiches basically. And they have this teeny tiny menu. It's like a five item menu or something crazy, but they do a great job. And so looking at their thing, I was like, man, how could we make some kind of version of this that would work in this space? And they're like, you know, their thing is like little teeny tiny kiosks, you know, so it didn't, it had to be amended, but that was, you know, kind of originally what we had looked at for inspiration. Um, and I really ultimately wanted to create a place that I wanted to hang out in, that I wanted to be in because, um, that was just sort of the mental state I was in at that time was being like, man, like this is like, I had taken the time to like really take care of myself. I had taken the time to kind of get right with myself, if that makes sense. And then, you know, Holy Roller was sort of a continuation of that of being like you know while we're on this roll like why don't we go ahead and build this place that seems like you know let's get this momentum going yeah, yeah. like i want to be this is where i want to be with the people that i want to be with and doing the things that i want to do and that's that's what is what it is so let's talk about these people that you want to be with your partners and the people that were you, you brought in on this project what what, what do those relationships look like? How did you did you know that this was going to be a good partnership? And what does that good partnership look like? Um, I knew nothing. The pe- the people originally I had spoken to, I had never met before in my life. Okay. So, so I had pitched this idea to strangers. Um, <laughs> and they um, not only were they, they, like I said, they were strangers. I had no idea what it was going to be like to actually work with them. Um, and as it turns out, they've been totally delightful. They're very, um, very different than I am. Like we, um, are probably total opposites as far as personalities go. Um, but they have been so like open and receptive to all of the ideas I've had, even if they've been a little scared in moments, you know, that maybe, you know, maybe it was something a little outside their comfort zone. They've been willing to sort of be along for the ride and see what happens and have been, you know, absolutely integral in me figuring out the business aspect of this because as I've said before I didn't have a clue how to really do that so what did the relationship look like uh where's the line drawn in the partnership how involved were they um well I mean I suppose as far as conceptually goes not super involved because that was really more me but then you know from the get as far as like the build out and all of the construction aspect of it and the fundraising aspect of it they were 
integral to so, that. So what did you learn from them in that in that process? Literally everything. Like Break I mean it down. everything. Like I learned. I mean I had never I had never first, I had done restaurant openings, but I had never firsthand been a part of applying for all the permits, applying for TABC permits, doing all of the inspections, having to build a, a restaurant space. And the and the space that we built was super bootstrap. Like we went in there and basically gutted a building and just rebuilt. You know, I mean, honestly, we got a quote. Um, one of my partners um, is a total whiz with, you know, carpentry because he used to work or own or I don't even know which, a construction company. And we got a bid for the bar to be built in the middle of Holy Roller, which if you've been in there is like the centerpiece of mm-hmm. the place. And we got this bid back and he's like, that's bullshit. I'm just going to build the bar. And he did. And it's amazing. You know, like, it, <laughs> I mean, really the whole project was super hands-on and really, and like seeing also two people have that confidence, you know, for him to say like, I'm not paying this person that I'm doing it myself is like such a great lesson, you know, because it's like restaurants are expensive you know and you don't you know just looking at it too it's like how smart to like not start in some like deep 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 financial hole like mm-hmm. why not why not do it yourself if you can do it yourself and, so how many different partners were there uh, all together um so i have one operating partner that is an that has a voice that okay. has you know so he and i make any he's not involved in the day-to-day stuff but if we have to make any major financial decisions if I were going to change the hours of the store you know anything that's like a a massive change to the business model would be something he and I have to agree upon so was this partner in the picture when you originally were pitching the concept did you go to him to help you that's who I pitched it to originally okay Okay. Mm -hmm. so he was already involved in this space and you pitched the idea to him correct got you um I know who this person is 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 it safe to say the name no uh it's not him it's It's a different person Uh okay does he want to stay uh, off the radar? Is it worth saying who this or she? Oh, totally. I mean, his name is Rick Singleton. Okay, cool. He's a uh, he's awesome. He, but I didn't know him from anyone when I first, you know. And it could have ended up being some like massive disaster. I have no idea. And it it uh, and it didn't. He's been just. So like what's I his said, lane? What's his role? What's he do? He is. Um, well, I mean, he basically owns a lot of real estate. Okay. And just kind of in that neighborhood, you know, right now he's currently working on building a hotel downtown with um, like a little boutique hotel that's a branch of the Hilton across the street from where Holy Roller is. And has also, since we opened Holy Roller, opened a bar across the street from us. And so I think that Holy Roller was sort of his like first foray into wanting to do something F&B related because he'd never done it before. Okay. So, you know, here we have this person who's never had a restaurant or so a bar he, building the bar in the middle of He was real the estate construction. That was kind of what yep. he did. This is the same gentleman that built the bar in the middle of the... Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the point being is like you need to wear so many hats yeah. in this industry. You're the creative chef slash leader, uh, food and beverage mind, right? But you need those other hats. You need the partners that complete you. Uh, Any other partners? I know that we have at least one other partner. What influences he have? Um, well, Brandon. Hunt, okay, I wasn't sure if no, 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 I know he's a silent partner, <laughs> so I didn't want to like. He who shall not be named. <laughs> and FYI, Brandon Hunt episode, I can't remember, but via 313, Brandon and Zane uh, doing some really great stuff. Also a partner at uh, in Nickel City mm-hmm. and a few other things. Like I honestly have lost, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've lost track. He's like so he's mafia. got his finger in everything. Yeah. So anyway, keep going. So Brandon. Brandon was involved with this from inception because he and I were friends before this started. So I had gone and shown him, you know, once I pitched this, like I'd I'd kind of shown him all along what 
what the plan was. Um, and he ended up being, um, I, I think actually our largest investor. Okay. Um, one of the things that's so lovely about Brandon, um, he's not a part of the day-to-day operations of, of the place at all. But one of the things that I think, I think actually one of, probably my favorite thing about Brandon is that Brandon is the ultimate champion for the underdog. Mm. He, he is an underdog. He is an underdog. Yeah. And he is, he has, he's so smart and he has turned, you know, something he, you know, came from nothing and turned it into this like amazing, amazing, like empire of things that he has. And he is the very first person that will say, Hey man, you have this pizza trailer somewhere, you know, not in Austin or whatever. It's like some guy needs some help and Brandon will like literally just give him their recipes. Like this works great. You should try this solely because he wants to see the guy succeed. Or Mm. he has friends that open food trailers that he puts money into and never will ever say it ever out loud that he's done that solely because he wants to see them succeed. And that, you know, I think, obviously I think Brandon had a lot of confidence in me or he wouldn't have done it, but he, um, like what a cool thing to like have one of your friends that like has all of this success themselves look at you and say like, hell yeah, man, like I think you can do this. Yeah. And he's also been so open and willing to help with, you know, all these, like when I was saying before, like the dumb questions you don't want to ask out loud, well, I should go ask Brandon because I'm like, this is a dumb question, but I know you won't judge me. What's the answer? And he is so helpful and so willing to give not only advice, but give excellent advice when it is asked for without interjecting opinions otherwise unless you know unless you need his help what's the best business advice you've gotten from Brandon oh man uh I think honestly one of the things that's helped me the very most that he brought up was you know as business owners we constantly are looking for a way to you know how do we get more money how do we get more business how do we get more people how do we make this part of the day more successful how do we make happy hour a thing how do we make you know it's like you're constantly looking ahead of yourself to see like what what you don't have yet and he's like why do you do that why would you not just manage what you do have like take a beat and let's look at how we make a system operate out of the business you do have and that's what you should always be doing there's certainly some value in like trying to look look forward to the future but it's so much more important, you know, he has taught me anyway, that it's so much more important to sort of be grateful for what you have in that moment and take care of it just as you would if you had more of it. Yes, I love that. And I feel like it's so easy sometimes. We're always, we're, we're, we're visionaries. We're creatives. We're always out. We're, we're in the clouds, right? We're dreamers. We're always thinking about what's next. But in doing so, we lose sight of what's right in front of us and we can do sight of the basics, the, the most simple things that will keep us in business, like being present, like, like seeing the person on the other side of the counter and, and developing that relationship and just going deep instead of out. Right. Going well, and in also too, of like, you know, if you have problems, like fundamental problems, like if your labor sucks right now with business as it is, it's going to suck even harder when you have more money. Like, why are you trying to ma- like, stop trying to make your problems yeah. bigger, basically like fix the problems, put that energy sure that, into your business right yeah. now instead of trying to yeah. create more headaches for yourself yeah. and it, and you know, and, and that's the other thing too, that I've learned from him a little bit is like the patience of like, just letting it be, you know, it's like, it doesn't have, it's not everything has to be a 100% overnight success. Like some of that takes time and it takes time to like, he's really big on the customer service aspect of like 
building relationships with people, building regulars, making people feel special the first time they come in. If you come, you know, come to their table and say like, have you been here before? And they say no, like send them something out to eat that's going to make them remember that you thought about the fact that they were in there having that first moment with Mm. you. And he's, he's very big on like the first impression and very big on cultivating those first impressions into regularity. Beautiful. And he, um, and that's awesome. You know, when you have somebody who's, you know, not only like a friend, but an investor, you know, there's a lot of pressure there to be like, okay, this is how this is performing, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and what a, what a dream to have somebody that just sits there and tells you like, be patient with it, like do what you can do with what we have and then just see what happens. Mm. You know, it's such an awesome, like very Zen approach to ev- I mean, everything really, but so any other key lessons from the build out, uh, things you had wish you known going into it, uh, that you could share with us to protect us from making the same mistake, or if there were any mistakes, I don't want to assume there was, usually there is a mistake. Well, made. in the city of Austin, does <laughs> anyone yeah. who knows in the city of Austin that everyone has nightmare stories? Yeah. Every, every single person has a nightmare story. And I can say that I don't. We wow. somehow, which, so, I mean, it was like the easiest best like I don't I mean like honestly like our building inspector showed up like a day early was just like walking down the the sidewalk during you know the day before our final inspection and popped his head in and like looked and was like I don't feel like coming back tomorrow and just signed off like it was (laughs) it was weirdly easy which only means that the next thing I do will somehow karmically be terrible so So, I shall update you do you think there's a is it a a testament to anything did you have the the partners the right partners that were knew what to expect and were proactive to make sure that all the boxes were being checked and that you would be good. Yes. I mean, that's a huge, yeah, that's a huge portion of it. And they certainly did. They were very, very proactive about that. But the other thing that made it really easy is that we were coming into a space that was already zoned to be a restaurant and already had been a restaurant. And we literally tore out the inside and just made it look different. So there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't as much red tape as there would have been had we started from the ground up or had we gone, you know, changed something that was a dry cleaners into a restaurant that would have been far more challenging. But okay. this was sort of like a, a dream scenario of like taking something that already was working and just sprucing it up a little bit. So your vision, it's open now. You open the doors, you're, you're, you're a business owner, the business is running. Yeah. What's going on? What's life like? Any lessons there? So the very first day... That in the very first day that we opened, we, you know, there had been a lot of discussion about like, should we do a soft opening? Should we do, you know, and I was like, man, I don't want to do a soft opening because I feel like soft openings just by nature, like imply that, like, I felt like that would make us, I didn't want to seem that fancy. Like I wanted to stay being our grungy little diner downtown that we wanted to be. And I didn't want to make some like big pomp and circumstance out of opening. And I didn't want to really waste the time and energies of the people that were about to get their ass kicked anyway, you know, so we secretly opened, like I just showed up to work and like, you know, told everybody and they thought I'd lost my mind. It was like a Thursday and I'm like, well, so here's the thing. We're just going to open on Saturday. And they're like, what? <laughs> um, and, and we did, we just opened the doors and we didn't say anything. We didn't make some like massive post, you know, just kind of hoping that we would get some like neighborhood business and, and kind of get that like slow practice of like, you know, getting, getting our feet underneath us while people so you, figured you kept out the media out of it. Right. Except for that never happens. And like, honestly, like one of our very first tables in that building was like a, 
eight top. And it was like the writer, the food writer for the Chronicle, like the paper. How do they know town. you're open? Fucking knows. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. I mean, because Instagram is a crazy thing, you know, and one person posts something and then everybody, you know, start noticing. And like, literally, I look over and I'm like, are y'all kidding me right now? Like, this is our very first day and we haven't like, oh, my God, get out of here. And they were, you know, and, and it was flattering, though, because they're like, we were just so excited. You know, we yeah. wanted to come check it out. Like, we've been waiting for it to open. And that was that was awesome. But it. um, I don't know. Like, I feel like that opening was so, so crazy, but at the same time, so smooth, which was. 1000% a testament to the the skills of the people that are working in that building. They so how did you get the the right team? I mean, you, you pulled over your business partner. Was it Brittany? Britt. Britt. Yeah. Uh, you pulled Britt over. Where did you find these other people? How did you build this team? Um, a couple of – so Britt's the only one um, and also our bar manager right now. Her name is Hosanna. She's amazing. She um, came uh, from day one as well. So those two that are currently on our management team have been there since day one. We had a couple of other managers at – the at the time when we opened that were also women that I knew from one of them I also knew from the hotel one of them I knew from Swift's attic like there was just a kind of a it was like a, a fun collection of just these like extraordinary badasses that I had worked with before and said hey like you want to come do this fun thing and they said How'd you yes sell them on it? Do, or did you just I don't know I mean instant I invitation I they're like sure you're like oh, that was easy kind of I mean <laughs> I mean we sat you know we'd go you know take them somewhere talk about it and show them the show them the stuff, you know, and at this point we didn't have like a, a full on restaurant built out. So it was, you know, certainly having to show them a lot of that, like same lookbook I was talking about and go over all that. But I think that, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I think that there's something that's, if that were proposed to me, like the thought of going to work with another woman that I had worked with before to build something that was meant to be outside of the box and spontaneous and creative and have the, you know, and to be able to have the ability to have that sort of like creative mind of my own encouraged. I think that sounds like a dream. This is something That's I, why I did yeah, it. This is know? something I want to dive into because you kind of alluded to it earlier is that that creative freedom that you give to your people. Uh, take us through the culture. Uh, of Holy Roller and what you're trying to, the, the energy you're trying to inject into the space and how people carry themselves and what that looks like. I mean, I think if you ask, I think if you ask anybody else about Holy Roller, Holy Roller is very much a reflection of me. Like you walk in there and everything from the way it looks to the music playing to the way it just feels generally. I think that that, that it's more me, you know, I mean, all of these people have given it this like, you know, it's a punk rock diner or it's like brunch all day. You know, they've, other people have assigned term labels to it that we never did. You know, it's kind of like, just let, let's let people decide for themselves what it's going to look like. Um, it was very important to me that, um, we do something that was different. I didn't want, I didn't want to care what plateware we used. I didn't want to care about what the the hot trendy menu item across the country was at the moment. I didn't want to care. I'm t- I was tired of caring about all that. I wanted to do the fun things that I wanted to do and put them on a menu in a way that I wanted to do it and hope people, you know, it's like field of dreams. Like Why if is you that build so it, they will come. I, I, and, I think it's important to emphasize that approach. A lot of people will say, you know, you know, play to the market, give the people what they want. And then, but what I've noticed is the people that are successful give the people what they want, even though they didn't necessarily know they wanted it, but it's yeah. more of an extension of who they are, what matters to them, what's interesting to them. Because 
otherwise, how are you going to have the passion to show up every day? How are you going to to commit yourself to something that's what other people want if you're just looking at the bottom line all the time? Well, but I think that that's the important, like when you're saying, you know, the passion, like I think, so from inception, like even talking to these girls, even talking to these girls before, before we got going, one of the things that was super important to me was that there, that Holy Roller be a place where you wanted to come to work. I'd spent a lot of time not wanting to be at work and not wanting to be in the environment I was in or not wanting to, or feeling like I was working my ass off for nothing at the end of the day, you know, and just feeling like generally pretty disdainful about that. And so I really, you know, and and at the same time had worked alongside Brit in a scenario where she felt very similarly. And so it was like, man, like I want to create this, I want to create this environment where people want to be there. And it's like, how do you do that? Well, you get people excited to be there and how do we get them excited? It's like, well, let's do, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to show up and do every day? And let's yes. make it work. So you, you, know? you gave your people an opportunity to let them. Like, like let loose. Well, like, have fun. Yeah. Like, who and, gives a shit? And like, to contribute the the to, it's not just your thing, but it's our thing, right? And you, yeah. you're, you're giving them a creative outlet underneath your, your roof, right? Is that safe to say? Absolutely. Um, and one of the most stunning things that has come out of that is that, like, man, are they creative. You know, like, it's so incredible to see just to see the things that they come up with or see, you know, when one of us has an idea, the way that other people are like not only able to run with it, but, but that they feel comfortable enough in the environment to be like, well, what I'm about to say is super weird. And like, but they know that as soon as they say it, everyone's going to love it, you know? And it's like, it, it works. And I think that part of why Holy Roller works and why people like it is because you can't, I could go out and buy all the expensive plate where I want. I could make the place look like however I wanted to make it look like, but you that feel there wouldn't be that feeling. And yeah. people are sold on the authentic and you don't get any more authentic than just doing whatever the hell you want to do in that moment. And obviously we do it with intention, you know? I mean, it's not it's not sloppy. It's thought out, you know, but it's just sort of that like you know, what's weird? What can we do? What do you what do you feel like doing and how do we make that what does it look like to put that out into the public eye? Yeah, the you know, words, put it out for con- the consumer. The words you, you mentioned earlier that I wrote down to come back to is letting people add their personal touch to the mm-hmm. business. So it's not when you let people contribute and make it feel, make them feel like they have something invested as part of their creativity too. They're going to show up differently versus where you're at the hotel and you're like, you're, you're, you know, you're giving this exactly every like, day. Here's the system that you get plugged times. into. Yeah. Like it's, um, it's important to have those systems, processes, procedures, but at the same time, there needs to be a human element. There needs yeah. to, to, to have that sense of ownership of I contributed well, to this vision. And we also love like, you know, one of the things like, you know, if you ask anybody stylistically what I do, you know, it's like, I think it's probably said in for various media outlets have said, you know, over and over, it's like nostalgic you know, taking things that are nostalgic and putting a creative twist on it or putting a whimsical, you know, whimsical flair or whatever shit they want to say in the moment and what that really is is walking around like just the other day we did it where you walk around the restaurant and you're like yo what'd your mom used to make when you were little that you like <laughs> loved you know that you like think about or like what did your mom used to make that was shitty that you like didn't ever want to eat you know or, like asking people that are around you for these like 
memories that they have because there's a reason why that memory stuck with them. So it's like, how do you take, you know, how can you not sell other, you know, if you have, if you have an item that was memorable enough for somebody who's in their late thirties to carry that all through their life and you put that on a plate done in a way that's thoughtful and creative and, you know, properly executed, how do you make someone not fall in love with that? What's the impact? What's going on there? What do you mean? Like what's, what's happening in uh, your employees' minds when you're giving them that opportunity to literally put a part of themselves on the menu? I mean, I think that, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine that it feels pretty cool. You know, there's some of them, I think that, you know, for some of us, that's just sort of like the huge now, which is even cooler kind of that that's just like, you know, what you're doing in your normal life. And then it's really, it's more fun though, when it happens with some of these guys that are like newer or younger, yeah. you know, and they're like, holy shit, someone asked me what I, you know, yeah. what do I want to do? Like nobody's ever asked me that before. And it's like, cool. People you know, show like, up differently when they get that to have a voice to, have to weigh in. And I think that's the, the big thing I'm pulling from you. It's not just your vision. It's not just your, your thing. It's our thing. Right? Well, that's not any, that's not any fun. You know, like I definitely, I had the footprint, you know, and I had, I laid the groundwork of like what my vision was, but like, and I, you know, honestly, I didn't even, I don't know that I thought about it going into it, that my vision would end up being a collaboration of visions, but like what an amazing thing that it did mm. because that's where the magics come from. So we have a few minutes left to kind of freestyle to to add some more value. Anything that you want to talk about and dissecting your own success, anything that you really think contributes to your success that you can leave with me and my listeners to make us better before going to the speed round? I mean, I think that, you know, when I look back on, you know, from today back, if I look back on the thing that I've done myself that's made me the most proud, I think that somehow along the way cultivating the confidence which I hell who knows where that came from (laughs) but having the confidence to really just just do it like just put myself out there and say like that's a it's a weird thing especially when you're like looking at this thing and going like man I'm literally putting like the food I like the things I like the music I like the way you know the way I like it's like taking all of like the weird ideas are floating around in your head and just hanging your ass out there for everybody to judge it is scary but like awesome at the same time and it's like just I think if everybody had a little bit of confidence just hang their ass out there a little more than they're used to it would be a whole lot cooler awesome uh so the person you are today the leader you are today how have you transformed to say the person you were going back to your early 20s when you're just starting to sharpen your teeth in this industry how have you transformed I don't have I certainly don't have the same ego. I don't have the same vanity. I don't have the same, um, like my give a shit is different a little bit. Like I used to, like, I think the things that I used to really care about are the things that seemed important. Like what'd you give a shit about back then? Oh, you know, press, how cool, how cool you look. Did you win that thing? Did you not win that? You know I mean? There was a lot of that, that like at this point, you know, my, my priorities every day are, making sure that my daughters are happy. My priorities are making sure that the people that are working for me are having that their livelihood is taken care of and they're in a good place or making sure that I'm in a good place and all of that other shit still comes. You know what I mean? Like who cares? Like it's all going to still come, but it's like paying attention. Like at the end of the day, like that doesn't matter. You know, it's just, it's like, what do you, you know, all we have is ourselves and our families and our friends. And it's like, all the other, all the other fluff is like 
only worth it because they're there. Nice. I've loved this conversation. Uh, anything you want to get out before we take a break to thank the sponsors and go to the speed round? I mean, I'm good if you're good. I'm good. This has been okay. great. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. All right. I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there if you listen to restaurant unstoppable i'm sure you've heard me say it before but i'll say it again there are two things that you need to let determine your growth the first thing that's people the second thing that's cash flow and we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because i'm working with cashflowtool.com the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business cashflowtool.com is simple powerful and predictive it's simple because it requires no data entry it's always up to date and it works on any device anywhere it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar activity feed and anomaly detector you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises and it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price and we're back the first question i have for you is what is your if factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success oh man i think my ability to just like act like a dumbass like i don't <laughs> care like it's one of those things where it's like i don't really i'm not vain enough to care if i like make an ass of myself or like put you know like i'm you just are. I just am. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, like, like it that. is what it is. <laughs> like yeah. For better or for worse. What is your biggest weakness? Oh, man. The fact that I am the terrible procrastinator. I always say, like, if you only have... No, what do I say? I say, I always wait till the last minute because then you only have a minute. <laughs> and I I mean, it, it's worked all right for me. I think everybody else around me probably hates it. Some people... I don't know. That's a really weird conversation because I've heard people say that, you know, be proactive, get everything done. And that's one way... To, to make sure everything gets done by having the checklist to, to getting it done early and then relaxing later. Doesn't that sound like a dream? I would know nothing about that. But then there's also <laughs> some other people that have done studies to show that we're way more efficient um, at working when we wait until the last minute because we'll, we'll take as much time as we're given to complete a task. Well, because then you only have a minute. So. Exactly. <laughs> but if we're, but sometimes we just sit there when we hum and we, mm, and we, uh, mm. but 
we, we don't have that luxury of having that time, but we just have to get it done. You just pull the trigger and you, and you launch, right? You get something mm-hmm. out there. Uh, and some people argue that that's a better way of working because it's more about just getting it done. Right. Um, so I, I don't like know. It's weird. Some people, it's, it's, a, it's, some people go either way, but I'm kind yeah. of in the middle there. Uh, okay. What is your biggest challenge today? Ooh, um, my biggest challenge today is kind of, is staying fresh, like mm. keeping everybody excited. How do you stay fresh? Coming up with new things to do, new fun things to do, seeing what, you know, just what's the next thing, you know, we're going to do it in contest. It's hard. You know, they always <laughs> say it's really hard to, yeah, exactly. They always say it's really hard to open a restaurant, but I think that the opening isn't really what's hard. I think it's that sort of like, yeah, you're gonna get a ton of after you're settled in and then it's like, okay, well now we're in this like routine that's boring, you know, every single day. It's like at that point, how do you keep people engaged? Mm. What's your best advice for keeping people engaged? Well, the, letting them have some input. Like we talked about, like let them, have some ideas. Like if you're, if we're at a point where we have the time, you know, if we're, you know, stagnant enough or don't have anything going on to the point to where like, let's take that idea that somebody had and make something out of it. You Mm. know, I think that giving people the outlet to do something different in their day goes a long way. What's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Hmm. We just put out an ad for a pastry person. We needed to add a patient. Our uh, our girl that's in charge of that department was like, must like Harry Potter. She probably wrote that like three times in her thing. I thought it was so funny. Um, the thing that I look for is um, confidence, like people that have confidence without saying that they do. Because mm. that's not actual confidence. That's annoying. You know, like when you, you can tell right off the bat if somebody's going to have too many opinions and voice them in situations where it's not appropriate to voice them. I, uh, I kind of look for like those like silently confident people that, you know, are going to do a good job and have the ability to add to the team without being, I don't know, without being a pain in the ass. Okay. Uh, what is one code of conduct or core value you teach your team a way to be a way to act? We don't yell. Like mm-hmm. nobody, like if, you know, it's like, if you're going to lose your shit, you need to leave because mm-hmm. or not, I mean, leave, get out of here. <laughs> um, no, but like take a step, like go t- take a break go because a like, yeah, because nobody, you know, like I said, the environment's important to me. Like I want everybody to come in there and feel like they want to be in that building. And I don't think that that, I don't think that scaring people into respecting you actually earns you any type of respect. And I don't think it's a way to properly manage people. And I think that even the people on our team that aren't managers, one day they might be, you know what I mean? And I don't think that it's a good way to learn how to be one. Um, and I, and I want all of our managers to be people that everybody else can look to and think like, man, that's a, that's a cool motherfucker. Like I want to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just, nobody responds well to people like, who wants to be screamed at all day? I mm. don't, you know, and I don't want people to come into work expecting that. Like I want them to, I, I do much better job being disappointed mom than being some like tyrant that's going to be, you know, screeching at people whenever I don't get my way. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. Oh, a standard of service. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that question. I think I one came like out every- earlier it is just uh, like, like what Brandon mentioned or what we were talking about Brandon, just uh, bringing something out for free to a first time oh, yeah. guest. Right. I mean, like- we do. We love doing that. Like we do, you know, it's like if somebody, uh, you know, we, we try very hard to cultivate regulars, especially in the neighborhood we're in. We have a lot of, 
businesses around, you know, office buildings, things like that. Um, and so it's like if you get those first timers in, like we really want to make sure that we capture their attention. And there's nothing that feels better than somebody gifting you something that you weren't expecting. Or if you have regulars, you know, like I'm really, really big on our bar staff knowing the names of the people. Like if I see them in there enough to notice that I've seen them before, like I want everybody to know what their name is. Mm. And I also am really big on, you know, like every couple of times you see that guy come in with somebody different, buy their lunch. Like it doesn't mean like that means nothing to us and we'll make his day and he'll come back again. It's the best again. form of marketing is just showing your people that you appreciate. Percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? I think that, you know, like really taking into account the guest experience. Like I think a lot of times people are like, okay, here we have tables. We check. We have chairs. Check. We have a food menu. That's really good. Check. But like, I think that a lot of times, like when you walk into a place, you're like, man, like nobody looked at like, what does that light feel like? Or what does the music feel like in here? What do you feel like when you walk in here? Like it, I think that the overall sort of like, it doesn't stop at the food is good and the drinks are good. People, you know yeah, I mean? like everyone's it, trying to make a statement it's a feeling, you know, but, and you have to, ha- it has to feel right when you walk in there. And I think that there are some misses sometimes when people don't pay enough attention to that. I dig it. Uh, what is one technology you've adopted within your four walls that it has had a huge impact on communication efficiencies, uh, profitability, anything that's just really had a big impact on your operation. Yeah. We started using these like handheld tablets. Like you've seen, like people check, can check you out at your table kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I don't particularly like we still deliver paper checks to people because I feel like it just feels better. I don't like somebody handing you a tablet being like, please tip me right in front of me. Cause this isn't <laughs> yeah. awkward. You know, it's just kind of strange feeling, but it has certainly increased their ability to put tickets in faster. Therefore like the kitchen getting food out faster and turning tables faster. There's been a whole lot of improvement in that with having those sort of like handhelds that they can take. And also they don't make mistakes. They don't have to like write it down and then translate it into a computer. There's far less mistakes when they can just literally enter it in as they're standing there. Now, one thing that I noticed I had the, the, the ability to go into your restaurant just before coming here by accident. That's a whole nother story. We're actually at <laughs> Callie's house right now. I went to Holy Roller thinking we were recording there. I was 15 minutes late. I'm embarrassed. Anyway, I was there and I got to take it in and you have the counter service, but you're also full service. So what was the thought process behind that? And are you using the technology? Cause I saw there was a tablet mm-hmm. uh, at the the counter, but you also are doing the, the, the table service. So, so kind of from inception, we had thought about having sort of a quick, like, I don't know, like a quick grab sort of option at that counter. And that's not what we utilize it for now. Now we do a lot of, um, we sell a whole bunch of like pastries from that counter. And also, um, that's where people, yeah, we do a lot of takeout orders. And so, you know, online ordering or whatever, and people can pick them up from that counter. We also sort of during brunch, which is our Saturday, Sunday brunch, which is our busiest time. We transform that counter into sort of a satellite bar where we do like snacks and mimosas and things that people can order. It kind of like keeps the people waiting happier and the service moving faster. Interesting. Uh, this is a topic I want to get more into. Maybe not with you today, but uh, I do have somebody, Ben uh, Garbus. Oh man, I, I, it's Ben. It's definitely Ben. He's coming on the show and we're going to be talking about how there's a transition right now. It's a 50% of all food that's made by restaurants is going to be eaten at home soon. Like that's where we're at. So like we got to really start thinking about how can we accommodate those people who prefer to eat Isn't at home. Scary it is weird. It's yeah. weird sounding to me. I don't like that. Yeah. It just made me feel but, uncomfortable. But it sounds like you, you, you're prepared for that. Um, yeah, you, you're I mean, like ready to take that. There's that transition happening right now. Um, so 
I don't know if you have any advice on that. I don't know. Now I'm like, you made me start thinking about that. Now I'm like, I want to hear what he has to say. Why <laughs> right? does he think that? Well, the, so uh, Ben's coming on the show next week cool. to kind of well, dissect that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. This is the last question. Actually, we're going to come back to a previous question. Did oh, you think yeah. about your no, book? No, I didn't because we were talking about All right. I'll ask this question and then we'll come back to the book question. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of advice. Three things you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for the for your legacy what would those three things be just three things generally they don't have to be like restaurant related life life advice business advice advice, anything oh man um take your time like take your time take it all in like take don't i feel like don't take any moment for granted take your time take your time um be uniquely you you know, it's like you only get one of you ever. Like, why waste your time trying to be someone else? What's number three? Number three is just put your head down and work. Take your time. Be you. Put your head down and work. I've loved this conversation, Callie. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to share thank your you. story, your knowledge, your advice. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator? Somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show. Ooh, the guys that run, um, that originally started Ramen Tatsuya, Tots, um, those guys have a handful of different concepts now and they're like, all of them are so unique to them and so creative and, and just totally off the beaten path of what you expect. And they like surprising people. Like they open, they literally just opened a concept that's based upon like you being surprised when you walk in the door (laughs) and they're, they're an excellent example of like just just be you, you know, yeah. like they do the things that they feel passionate about and they do it so, so well. And, and give me yeah, a name. They're killer. Tatsu. Tatsu. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the name of the, sorry, yeah, I missed Ramen it. Ramen Tatsu, yeah, <laughs> is the one they originally opened, but then they have Kamuri Tatsu, yeah. Okay. And they just opened a, a, I haven't even been yet, but it looks like a bar sort of like nice. a Japanese hot dog place maybe, but called Domo Aligato. Tatsu, um, look out, I'm coming Tatsu. after you. Do you have anybody else? You said you had a couple names. Um, that's the, I would say that's the biggest one. Look out, Todd, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And do you have that book? Ooh, down and out in Paris and London, down and out in Paris and London. I love it. Uh, again, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, how can we connect with you? How can we follow you? If we want to see what you're up to at Holy Roller, uh, maybe we want to come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Um, our Instagram probably, which is at Holy Roller ATX. Um, and mine is just at Cali Spear. So it's easy. Callie Spear, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. I can't say thank you enough. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Cheers. Man, I loved that conversation. Callie Spear, so real, so open, so just willing to go there. And we went there today. We really dove into... Not just the path that Callie took to where she got, but the the mentors, the lessons, uh, how she grew personally. I think the big takeaways for me in today's conversation is living in a state of discomfort. Always putting yourself in situations where you're forced to grow or you're not going to last very long. And when you do that, when you live in that state of discomfort, y- you you will grow. And I think the other variable there that's so important is... Uh, being okay with it, uh, knowing that this industry is hard and being okay with it and not letting the fact that this industry is tough, that you're going to be put up against it, get in the way of your, your, uh, current mental state. Uh, 
it could always be a lot worse. Uh, it's going to be hard. Accept it. Move on. Continue to grow. Uh, not losing your shit when the things do get really hard or you're about to blow up at somebody. Having the emotional intelligence to keep it in and to uh, just be mindful of that energy because you do not want to flood the emotions of everybody else you're working with. And I love this this idea of uh, when she got to a point where she was pretty well acclaimed and she was working at a restaurant and people were coming to come work for her because of her reputation and all she was caring about was when the next party was and having a good time and the press and the media. Um, when you get to that point where people are making their, uh, they're, they're basing uh, their life decisions on coming to work for you to, to learn from you. You have a certain obligation to those people. You have to show up to work looking to serve uh, and to make sure those around you are, are feeling like they're benefiting from that, that relationship. If you lose sight of the people that are around you looking to learn from you, they will leave you uh, and you, you cannot do it alone. And, and I think that it's really important to, to put the, the emphasis on the fact that Callie did go get sober, that she did start focusing on what really matters, relationships, right? And uh, within a year from making that pivot, look, now she's the chef owner of her own place, doing incredible things. And I think the last thing I want to touch on is creative freedom, uh, giving your your people that creative freedom. When they feel like they can contribute to the end product, that they matter, they will show up in a different way. And what there is no better way to be authentic than to create and to literally put a piece of yourself on the menu or, or in whatever aspect of the business. Awesome stuff today. Callie Spear, thank you so much again. And like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric, at RestaurantUnstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Ketchatory, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. Please sign up for my email list. It's as easy as going to restaurantunstoppable.com, either scrolling to the bottom of uh, most of the pages or there's a pop-up. Um, I will send you what's going on every week, uh, the previous week's episodes, uh, what's on my mind, uh, really significant moments within that week's of content uh, to, to, to bring your attention to. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, again, go sign up for the email list. And uh, lastly, uh, help me with this mission of inspiring empowering and transforming our industry by sharing this sucker with anybody and everyone you would know who loves this industry and who's aspiring to be great. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all until next time. Peace out.